Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. Okay, now now can I go? Okay, in that case, live and highly medicated from Ebor City in the Chillum CBD Dispensary and Gallery, Ebor City, where it all began. Before they opened the doors, of course, because no no mask today. Hmm? We are going to skip the mask, but then we're going to go straight to the task. So just task. Yes. Right. You are messing up my flow here. Yeah. I did that on purpose. <laughs> What's up, okay, man? Absolutely. Uh, you doing good? For, okay, well, let's start again. From Ebor City, <laughs> where, the, where it all began, the heart of prohibition, it is time to jump. How's that? Into the, into the rotation here on a great Sunday. I am your political director of Suncoast Normal, Gary Stein, along with our deputy director, Carlos Angel, or for those who don't speak Spanish, our angel, Armida. And, and uh, watching us from on high, and I mean I'm as in above the beltway, uh, Carl, uh, Chris, Christopher Cano, the name you know, Talking about all the federal news that is fit to print and everything that isn't. <laughs> Indeed. I'm a little, I'm a little winded. I had to walk like about a half a mile to get here. Today. You couldn't breathe doing the Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, that's because uh, people are saying we had a very busy, busy weekend yesterday. We had a pride parade, and now that we have a. Uh, a gay mayor, I guess I kind of like pushed that holiday a little bit better this year because we, we had to beat St. Pete, right? I mean, I, I don't think there's a competition. I think St. Pete's got us, but... Hey, you know, hands, hands down, St. Pete Pride <laughs> is the real deal holy field. Like, uh, we've done the St. Pete Pride Parade for many years uh, as an organization, and I, I can say that the amount of turnout and the camaraderie and just the absolute fun uh, definitely is, is is edging out Tampa significantly. However, Tampa has Gasparilla. You know, it was canceled this year due to COVID. But, but you know, let me say this about Tampa Pride though: this was the first Pride uh, uh, parade that happened in the country since lockdown. Right? It was only about I would say about the quarter of the business that a normal Pride parade come in Ebor brings. Um, but it was amazing. It was amazing. Like you, you, all these articles came out about all these people rushing to Ebor during quarantine and like the vibes during the Super Bowl sucked. Like we were scared, <laughs> like we were happy and shit, but like people ever deep down were scared. They were scared that they were going to get shot. Like it was all this like shit, like no lie. They were scared they were going to get shot. <laughs> but pride last night was, was peaceful. It was uh, uh, just joyful to be out and be yourself, and it was amazing. And we got we got a lot of great people here in Ebor. So what you're saying is Antifa did not attack us during the Pride Parade no in Ebor. No, Antifa 
uh, attacks. Hopefully, there's no Antifa attacks during this car show that's going on right now. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. There's a, is a fabulous car show. I guess everybody who didn't come to the Pride Parade yesterday is at the car show here today. Yeah, you might hear some like engines revving in the background when we're talking about marijuana. Yeah, you, you're talking about your straight six and your straight eights and, uh, and, and a whole lot of glittery paint. And speaking of which, we should probably get focused right now and talk about marijuana. Are, are, are we not in focus? So, so Chris, you've uh, sent us some links here about some things going on. <laughs> yeah, we got some national things going on. We got some state things going on. And some of it is actually designed to make people in Florida feel better about ourselves. And in some case, not. <laughs> well. I think that, you know, uh, taking a, a look at what's happened federally right now, there's uh, legislation pending to expand veterans access to medical marijuana. And I, I think that that is definitely one of the most important issues that needs to be addressed. You know, presently, VA doctors are forbidden from providing the paperwork necessary to complete a medical marijuana recommendation, thus forcing military veterans to seek advice of out-of-network physicians. You know, um, for a veteran who's disabled, living on a fixed income, spending an extra $300 on a doctor's recommendation for your medical cannabis isn't always fitting the bill. Now, a lot of doctors out there will offer a discount or even, you know, uh, provide veterans with recommendations. But the fact is, is that the vast majority of veterans do seek their health care at the VA, and this legislation will allow uh, VA doctors to recommend medical marijuana in states where it's legal. So by all means, take the time to sign this petition, send an email to your senators and your representatives. The most interesting thing about it is that if you send an email to one of our senators in the state of Florida, more than likely you'll get an email back saying about how marijuana is so dangerous and Marco Rubio and Rick Scott have no desire to change the status quo. And so, you know, with the 2022 elections coming up and Marco Rubio up for re-election, I just want everybody to remember that when it push came to shove and we asked for our veterans to have safe access to medical cannabis, Senator Rubio said no. Now, does this, does this bill have anything to do with the, with the cost of, uh, of medical care and uh, of, of cards uh, as far as state is concerned? It does not have any, uh, any precedence as far as that's concerned. So again, this is just federal legislation. Um, you know, veterans deserve the option to legally access, you know, any type of therapy that's going to be beneficial to them, especially considering that cannabis is safer than the litany of pharmaceutical drugs that they're often, um, you know, uh, prescribed. And we all know, we've all seen it, that Purdue Pharma, you know, pharmaceuticals, utilize the VA as a testing ground uh, for its opioids and contributing to the opioid crisis by, by, you know, using veterans as the first group that got addicted. And so cannabis is a viable exit drug for folks that are addicted to opioids. As a matter of fact, there's uh, studies that have come out. You can check them out at normal.org that show that, you know, in places where there's medical cannabis access, where doctors are openly allowed to, you know, recommend it. It's not a restrictive system where you have to jump through a bunch of hoops. There is a reduction in opioid use. And so you're not seeing as many people OD on opioids in states like Colorado or California as you're seeing in in more restrictive states here in the South. It's strange to me how hard it seems to help veterans because, I mean, I honestly, like, I'm from the veteran community, we get like a lot of like, like uh, a lot of props right here at Chillum, but we don't do shit. We let them come in, we give them a safe space and we give them access to, to some of their medicine, right? And that's literally all it takes. They just want to feel safe and they want to have their medicine. Why is it so hard to help people that have helped our country already, you know? 
Well, a lot of it has to do with politics. It, 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 it all, a lot of the times it comes down to politics, basically. It always comes down I to mean, politics. I uh, mean, I was asked to go ahead and moderate a, pol- a, uh, <clears throat> a conference in, in uh, June on uh, PTSD that AMVETS is putting on in regards to PTSD and, uh, and cannabis use. And in part, it, it, it is set up to give congressmen the uh, information they need to actually push forward legislation to help veterans get access to cannabis for PTSD. But my only concern is, at this point in time, is if it does go through, if we do all the hard work, and if the, if the powers of me in, in, uh, in Washington, D.C. put it through so people get access to it, will veterans have financial access to it? Because if, they don't, if it's not covered by, by, by insurance, if, if TRICARE does not cover the cost of that, of that medication, will they be able to pick it up? Well, they may be able to get access to it because right now here in Florida, veterans, you know, they, they will go out there and they will get their medication, and they, but they still have to pay full price for the cards. They will have to stay pay full price for the doctors unless doctors give some, some kind of discount. But then once they go ahead and get their medication, they still can't afford it oftentimes. And, and some of these places are like do marketing pushes saying that they're trying to help out veterans and trying to offer a veterans discount. They give them some bullshit like 10% off. Like they, like it, it's nothing. Like it doesn't help them at all. Like what's 10% off of the fucking $95 gram of rosin? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's fucking nothing. But well, that's the rights are covered for your insurance as long as you're following your prescription. Isn't that correct? Right. Well, that's one of the reasons why the Weed for Warriors project, which I'm wearing my shirt here today, was founded is is, you know, um, especially in California, where the chapter, you know, originally started and was is is very strong. You know, people will come together to donate veterans, um, you know, free medicine. Uh, You know, I've been a part of some of the meetings all across the state. I've been to our North Florida chapter, our Tampa Bay chapter, our South Florida chapter. And to see folks in the legacy market, even doing right by our veterans, to donating their, you know, uh, um, you know, their hard-earned crops um, to vets, you know, really moved me and, and touched me. And I think it's it's necessary um, that we continue to take care of our veterans, even if even if the the politicians won't. We the people can do that. Carlos, you, you giving veterans a safe space to have their meetings, I think, is important. All in all, you know, people have sacrificed a lot for this country, and not all you know scars are visible. And cannabis is something that that truly helps our veterans uh, get through the trauma of of you know a lot of the things that they've encountered while serving. And so, all in all, if the VA can start recommending it, that's one less bill for the veterans. But to everyone's point, you know, until we get to a point where insurance is covering medical cannabis as a legitimate and viable treatment option, then we're not going to see much change in this country. And you know, we've seen it. In court cases, you know, uh, workers' compensation in particular is is one uh, area where we've seen in certain states people have sued, and their workers' comp insurance has had to pay for their medical cannabis. Their their employers have had to reimburse them, you know, for what they've spent out of pocket. And so I'd like to see that eventually be something that in this country, um, insurance companies will cover medical cannabis uh, use. Absolutely, access to a bridge that's only half built is not going to get you across the river. And I, I keep saying it, man, like we, like you, I, I'm sitting here fuming about Marco Rubio right now. <laughs> I, I, I can smell it from here. <laughs> That's not, that, Marco Rubio is not responsible for that smell. It's one thing about like legalizing marijuana in Florida has taught me is that it's not just a, a, passing the right laws, it's making sure that the right lawmakers are in place. And when you have people like Marco Rubio, like 
veterans aren't going to get the access they deserve. You know, like we need to make sure that we we vote out the politicians that are fucking everybody over and just playing politics games and not really like representing what they truly believe in. And by by the right representatives, like for instance, we do a lot of people do understand that if it wasn't for Matt Gates, we wouldn't have a medical a cannabis program here in Florida. However, <laughs> and that's a big capital H. However, with a couple of underlines underneath it, at what price? Uh, so you, you really have to have the whole package there because it, the, medic, the medical cannabis program here in Florida got here under auspicious um, uh, means. A lot of us were working very hard as advocates in Tallahassee. We're thrilled that we actually got that, that, that baby step. But a lot of people didn't realize what was going on behind the scenes. Mm. The we were pushing the legitimate method to get these bills passed. There was things going on in the background that were not as legitimate, that were, that were more... Uh, money driven as opposed to policy and empathy driven well gary you said you just said that we got medical cannabis under auspicious means but it sounds more like we got it under suspicious means and how how it got rolled out you know um all in all if, if folks want to know why Florida medical cannabis system is the way it is, it is exactly to, to Gary and Carlos's point, politics. There were a select group of politicians back in 2014 and, and you know, throughout the, the implementation process, all the way up into the modern day that have been influenced by a few key uh, nurseries and uh, medical marijuana treatment centers that continue to create this current system to where initially there were only going to be five licensees and through court cases and suing we're now up to 22 the vast majority uh uh you know uh, of these licenses that that are operating in florida right now have have been through litigation they haven't been through a legitimate licensing process and the licensing process in florida um has been proven and shown uh, to be corrupt and so we're still waiting on the Florida Supreme Court uh, to make a decision in regards to the Florigrown case, you know, and, and and seeing how, you know, whether or not they're going to strike down horizontal integration, that they're going to, uh, you know, strike down the licensing system and see how things uh, shake out from there. But I see in the comments here, if people are asking what happened when Joe Biden said he was going to legalize you know, cannabis. So, Carlos, the other link that I had, please, by all means, drop that there so folks can. Tell President Biden to follow through on his commitment to expunge marijuana records. I think it is it is so important uh, that this here be a key step in any type of legalization. We cannot create a, a legitimate market around a commodity that's been considered illicit and leave people in jail who have been selling that illicit commodity while there are businessmen and bankers making billions of dollars in the legal cannabis market. I mean, you can't have companies that are that are traded uh, uh, publicly, you know, that are selling it while people are in jail for doing the same thing. Well, it's not we, right. We were talking about the like during the election times and, and everything that uh, we were talking about how Joe Biden has this proactive stance towards cannabis or whatnot. But we were saying that like they were going to delay cannabis legalization and whatever the fuck he's going to do um, because because there's so much other shit that's fucked up right now. Mm -hmm. Coronavirus. Focus on that. Yeah, they have to prioritize in, in D.C. 
how they're moving forward. And sometimes it's a matter of starting out with the big things and moving on to the smaller things. Like, for instance, you, you need to have some kind of infrastructure in order to build on the other things you need to get done. And that is in part some of the things that are going on in D.C. right now. A lot of times at the beginning of the administration, they spend the first, oh, say, entire year reversing the policies of the previous administration. And it happens both to in Republican and Democratic administrations as well. Well, one of the key issues in Congress right now is the razor thin majority that Democrats hold in the Senate and the fact that the filibuster um, as a as a parliamentary tool requires 60 votes to move something forward, um, you know, th past debate and onto floor votes. And that is has been used by the Republicans in the minority uh, in the Senate to hold up these key votes on, on key issues. Um, you know, we already passed the Moore Act in the House uh, back last November. Um, it's a shame that it, it's anticipated it'll be possibly this November before we see anything come back around. Now, um, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, who's currently the Senate Majority Leader of the Democrats from New York, has said that he has a, a cannabis legalization bill uh, that he's working on with Cory Booker and Ron Wyden from Oregon, um, you know, Cory Booker from New Jersey. And all in all, we should see some of these key senators pushing this through. Um, but again, priorities are, are what they are. The Biden administration itself, um, you know, look, when you see Joe Biden, I, well, at least when I see Joe Biden, I do not see some paragon of progress. What I see is a relic of, of the, the, you know, the 20th century of American politics. What you know? I see and hearing that they're the, like order of importance type stuff is yeah. basically saying that this is never going to get done, that we're just fucking leading you guys on. That this is this is never going to have. It seems to me, with that logic and that like the political mindset and political rhetoric that typically goes on, is that that would be an excuse to later down the road, like come September when we're thinking that you know this is going to be it, or November when this is going to be an issue again. Oh, that shit ain't important anymore. The economy, you know. <laughs> well, I see. Like, I see somewhat of a of a greater vein of uh, veracity coming from this particular administration as opposed to the last one. Like, for instance, when they were asked about whether or not they're going to eliminate student debt or just drop, the, drop it down by $100,000, they said, we are not going to get eliminated, but we might drop it down by $100,000. That's actually a better answer than just saying, we're, we're going to look into that, which is what they did in regards to cannabis for the previous four years. Where they weren't actually their interest in looking at it at all. I'm glad you said that, Gary, because a new report just came out. The DEA in 2020, under the Trump administration, uh, seized nearly 20% more cannabis plants under Trump than, than its 2019 totals. 4.5 million plants were seized by the DEA uh, in 2020, which is a 20% increase over 2019. And don't forget, the, uh, the cannabis elimination project is still alive and well coming from the uh, Department of Agriculture in the afternoon. Uh, here in state of Florida, and they're still getting money to eliminate domestic uh, cannabis crops that are not uh, that, that are not legitimate, so to speak, uh, here in the state of Florida. And that that uh, Adam Putnam was uh, very big on making certain that they torched as many uh, crops as possible, and it's still active. It still hasn't gone away, and they're still going to use it if they find large domestic outdoor grows. You know, well, the cops came to my house once because I was like under suspect for growing. Well, we used to have normals address registered at the place. Oh, you look my, suspect. My, well, yeah, of course. But my, 
but my uh, my powder spiked, my AC broke, so I needed to get like a bunch of window units. Oh, that deal! And then they sent a bunch of cops to my house to investigate, and I had to go. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if they suddenly find out that yeah, your house has a power spike of about two or three times it was previously, they are going to look into why. Yeah, uh, this actually happened in uh, in Manatee County in uh, 2000. I think it was 15 uh, when <clears throat> when the, uh, Bob and Kathy Jordan uh, were actually in the, in the process of cleaning the house next door, and they because they had just bought the house next door. And they actually had some people come over and take a look at it, and they found the grow in the back in the, in the garage that uh, Bob had been running doing for Kathy. It wasn't actually using that much electricity, but because of the fact that the house next door, which hadn't been using any at all because it had been vacant for a while and it was a HUD home, so they had a spike. They had somebody come and take a look at it. They found the garage full of uh, what was it, 12, 15 plants. Claimed that it was worth seventeen thousand dollars of plants, even though they were all immature. And uh, we're planning on arresting Bob and Kathy. And that was that big raid you probably heard about that happened at that point in time. During the time that the state was trying to pass the, the, the Kathy Jordan Act, which, of course, did not pass at that point in time. That was how that all got triggered. So well, it, it continues to happen. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, elections matter not just for legislators, but when you elect judges, when you're electing your state attorneys, because the state attorney ultimately has the decision of whether or not to prosecute uh, patients for medical cannabis. The state attorneys, you know, and, and they're the people that they hire, you know, essentially determine how hard they're going to prosecute people, whether or not people are going to get rehab, whether or not people are going to get slap on the wrist, whether or not they're going to throw the book at you. And so, you know, it, it is vitally important. We worked our butts off in 2016 to get rid of Mark Ober um, as a chapter because, uh, you know, I felt as though that, you know, someone who has sent more people to jail for cannabis than all violent crime put together should not have been our state attorney. Currently, our, our, our new state attorney, Andrew Warren, has a different philosophy than, than Mr. Ober. But I think that that is something that people have to pay attention to. We got to stop electing prosecutors and judges that see cannabis as one, you know, they subscribe to the gateway theory. And, you know, Carlos, I, I sent you a link there uh, um, that shows a, a, a research report that the gateway theory is not supported by any scientific data, that it's bunk. It's not something that, that, that you know, people uh, should buy into. The fact is, is that cannabis is not a gateway drug, it's an exit drug. And cannabis consumers are more likely to engage in physical activity. You know, on that note, since it, 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 there are studies showing cannabis uh, consumers engage in physical activity. Now, now, for those of you, don't look at me as an example because I am a fat guy and that's just how it is. But you that's P-H-A-T, guys. <laughs> you know, um, you know uh, I, I think it's awesome. And I want to send a shout out to Orlando Normal uh, for their yeah. field day that they had yesterday. You know, I think it's very cool that people can incorporate uh, cannabis with physical activity, uh, that we can incorporate cannabis with community activities. You know, cannabis in itself has created a community and, and it's not a counterculture community. It's not something that's underground. It's mainstream. People are nurses. People are businessmen. People are lawyers, all who partake in cannabis, you know, and, and so Oftentimes, I love going to cannabis community events. It gives me a chance to actually interact with like-minded people uh, who can see that, you know, at the end of the day, cannabis is not some drug that people should be sent to jail for, for utilizing, but in fact is a therapeutic plant that can give people a, a better you know, quality of life. 
think of it like this, right? So to anybody listening to this or watching this, right, that doesn't consume cannabis and one needs to understand what it's like to be a cannabis user in the cannabis community, right? This uh, past year, we were all under quarantine and there were a lot of mental health issues that sprouted up because of that. Now, imagine cannabis consumers have been underground for so long. They haven't been able to talk or feel free or to say these things. When we started that marijuana school a while back, a lot of people just like coming in and going in and just talking with us because they felt free. They felt like they, they were able to like actually be themselves in that area. And many people actually did medicate at home, which helped them get through it. But uh, it is true that in, uh, in order to uh, understand the people in pain, you have to commune with the baked. I like that. Baked coming. That is a that is paraphrase from the uh, uh, night in the uh, Garden of, of uh, Good and Evil. You're so you're, you're so cultured. <laughs> Somewhat, yeah. That's why people call me younger. That's besides the point. <laughs> but uh, these these uh, races we talk about in regards to what politicians to get in, they are not as clear cut as you might think. We actually are going to have one this one state district. I think it was fifty nine, but we're going to have at least, as far as I know, three candidates: two Democrats and one Republican that are to be pro, pro cannabis. And we're going to have Adam Hattersley and um, and and Andrew Varney, who will be on the Democratic side. And it looks like we have our own Michael Minardi running as a Republican yeah. in that same district. Mm -hmm. uh, now, at, at that point in time, who do you vote for? Well, first off, because we have closed primaries, at that point in time, you have no choices to who you're going to vote for in regards to the primaries are concerned. But then again, when it gets to the, the general election, in, in uh, Tallahassee right now, it's difficult to get things done when you're a Democrat. Because if you are in, in the minority party, and because of the fact that the majority party over there, which are the Republicans, are basically working in lockstep with whatever the, the uh, speaker says, it's hard to get things get things forward. We actually had a, a good bill that came from Senator Cruz in regards to getting free cards for uh, for veterans, but no representative would step forward and put out a, a bill on the House side yep. because they were told not to. Well, Gary, it's interesting that you say that because if if you all recall, Carlos, you remember, what was it, three years ago, we went up to Tallahassee and we asked Senator Cruz uh, to sponsor that bill. So, I mean, it, it took three years from that initial conversation to now to actually see some type of action. And then it's going to take even longer to get the other legislators involved, which is why it is so important that folks become a part of the political process. But more important that you become a member of Suncoast Normal so you can stay involved and understand uh, where you can plug into the process. Our members are highly educated on the political process because of the great work that Gary that the great work that Gary does. Um, you know, uh, Gary, you put together a hell of a, a lobby day, and and in, you know, in, in the years that we're actually able to get up there and, and make it happen. And so, I think it is vitally important in this upcoming uh, year, 2022 is an election year. A lot of elected representatives are going to be more amicable to listening this year and getting something done. If we want to get something done in the legislature this year, this is the year to do it. The year that they're up for election, you know, because all eyes are going to be. We will have some of the top candidates here on the show in the next in the upcoming weeks. I know that uh, Chris and myself are working on getting those who will be up there in, in the upper ranks. Hopefully, we will get Dale Demings. Hopefully, we will get um, <coughs> that 
some of the folks in the, in the governor's race up. We're going to see how, how it all works out. But if we want them to be able to talk directly to you, not just doing their stump speech, which you will hear over and over again. And ask, so we can ask them some of the hard questions and they can give us, you know, their straight from the hard answers because politicians don't always do that. So I've heard. Well, votes are important, and I, I think it's important to point out that both of the um, Democratic candidates that are running to replace Marco Rubio, Stephanie Murphy from the East Coast of Florida, Val Demings from Orlando, both voted for the Moore Act. So, it, you know, their votes are recorded. They're on, they're on board with, with legalizing cannabis. So, you know, I'll be interested to see how much further they're willing to go and how vocal they're willing to make that a part of their platform. I think that's important for a lot of candidates. We're seeing that in other states is that many candidates are coming out of the closet. I, I uh, you know, I saw um, emails this past April of candidates having 420 uh, fundraisers. And I thought that was interesting that she's see people running for governor and running for senator in other states that are like, hey, it's 420 and I'm open and I'm proud to support cannabis legalization and you should donate to my campaign. And I was like, okay, almost. You almost got me there. You know, I rather well, take how much that was <laughs> I almost felt compelled to donate, but what do I get in return? Hey guys, guess what? We take money from potheads too. The power <laughs> you know? of pot compels you. The power of pot compels you. <laughs> 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 oh, man. <laughs> but but we, we need to look at every single thing that we could possibly vote on, and that includes, folks, uh, judges, federal judges. I wish we could vote on Supreme Court judges, but those folks are appointed, and, uh, and we can't always vote to retain them in, in, in certain levels. Here in the state of Florida, we are still waiting for Supreme Court judges to actually give us their opinion on regulate Florida who uh, actually got into the Supreme Court docket back in September of 2019 and actually did the oral arguments in February of 2020. And of course, the Florida Grown case, which also got to their, their docket in about that time and had their oral arguments back in October. And we still haven't gotten the answer to that one. And as kind of a uh, cautionary measure, uh, the state of Mississippi this last November, uh, they actually passed their new cannabis law at 73% better than Florida. And what happened this last week? Wait, Mississippi beat us? Mississippi beat us at 73%. But here's your shot to find the guy. The Supreme Court in Mississippi this last week struck that law down. Even though 73% of the populace in Mississippi voted for it, the Supreme Court of Mississippi shot that law down and and, and, uh, now they have no law. Boom. And of course, yep. they had to go through the lower courts first, but now it's because of the fact that the state went ahead and did the appeal, and then it went to the Supreme Court, and now it's dead. Hmm. And so our neighbors to the north, <laughs> I feel for you guys in Picayune, I feel for you guys in Meridian, I feel for you guys anywhere in Mississippi, uh, the, to, our, to our great folks in the state of misinformation, I, I, I feel for you. Now, the guys to the left of them, or to the right, depending on which way you're looking, the good folks in Alabama, the rich folks, <laughs> they, they, they got themselves a law. But <laughs> the pain they're going to endure uh, in getting that law to move forward is going to be an issue for them because we're going to have to go through the same damn growing pains that, that we did because this law does not allow flour, it does not allow vaping, does not allow edibles in the forms of candy or anything Wait, else. What does it allow? Not, it allows, it allows some tapers. Yeah, and the other things, but it doesn't allow any more than 75 milligrams of, of THC. Huh. 
Mm. And if you want to get a, a recommendation, you have to have already prove that opioids don't work. Mm-hmm. And the only way to prove that opioids don't work, folks, is to have had to take them and either overdose or verify the fact that you're addicted. I can't. I still can't smoke weed in Greenville, Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> hey, that actually makes me wonder: Would Forrest Gump had you know got up and ran around the country if he could have just sat on his patio and just smoked a joint? Not as interesting as a movie, but yeah, maybe if 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 Forrest Gump had medical marijuana, maybe he would have sat on the couch less. Folks of Pensacola, we know that nobody's gonna be sneaking over the border to get any cannabis. We're gonna just stay right home and use our meth. <laughs> Gary, 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 you're killing me, Smalls. That's the thing, That's the thing I laugh, but he's right. I, I get Pensacola, right. but the dispensaries in Pensacola are some of the highest grossing dispensaries in the state. It's because Escambia County has an opioid problem. Is that what you're saying? And, and Santa Rosa as well. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they, they kind of have, they have one strip mall that's got two big lots. Do you know anybody that has one of those? I mean, that is absolutely amazing to me. And, and, <laughs> And an AVR that has planes that fly really, really low over you. It kind of shakes the heck out of you. Yeah. But, uh, I bought my couch in big lots, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> maybe, you're, maybe you're sitting on it wrong. Maybe my fat ass just can't sit on couches. So we have states that are, that are struggling, and we need to help them as well. And we need to help ourselves. So normal is not just our chapter, you know. We actually have a couple of chapters in Florida. Uh, they are they may not be as politically active as we are. Hopefully, they will be someday. But we also have chapters in Alabama. We have a, an active chapter in Texas, and Texas is struggling. I mean, you, uh, Chris, you've seen some of the, the struggling that Texas has done for their laws, and right now they're still CBD, basically. Well, you know, it, 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 uh, shout out to all the normal chapters across the country. Shout out to Alabama Normal for, you know, pushing the, their medical system. You know, again, political realities are what they are. You know, Texas Normal is working really hard to get small gains, like moving concentrates out of a felony class into a misdemeanor class. You know, uh, incremental progress is the name of the game in a lot of these uh, states where you don't have a lot of advocates in the state legislature, where due to gerrymandering, um, a minority political party may actually have a majority of the seats. And, you know, we see that in many states in the South where, you know, Republicans aren't necessarily the majority of the electorate, but they hold a majority of the seats. And that's because of the way the districts are drawn. And we're going to see a big redistricting fight coming up this upcoming year because the census has already happened. Um, Now it's time to redraw districts. And in many cases, you're going to see districts that shapes make no sense. But the point is to cram as many voters of one political party into one district so that they can make as many other districts competitive as possible. And so really the gains that we can see in the legislature, if we want to see any, are going to have to be in targeting battleground districts that lean up 50-50, both Democrat and Republican, and then push the right candidates in those seats who are pro-cannabis, regardless of political party. But uh, to your point, Gary, as long as there is a majority of prohibitionists in the leadership of the Republican Party, because it's not all the rank and file. We see a lot of rank and file Republican representatives and senators who are on board. You know, Senator Brandis is, is one of them. 
you know, who, who supports it. But then again, you also have to look at, um, you know, not everybody's a single issue voter. So for cannabis, some folks are pro cannabis, but then also some folks are pro minimum wage. Some folks are pro, you know, uh, uh, prison and, and criminal justice reform. And, and sometimes those things clash. You know, Senator Brandis himself has said he doesn't think that former felons should be allowed to make a $15 minimum wage. So, you know, uh, politics makes strange bedfellows. And sometimes you feel disgusted in the next morning after getting in bed with some of these politicians. Much in the same way a 17-year-old girl feels after dealing with Matt Gates all day. <laughs> my, my, Matt Gates, Gates Matt, I legalized marijuana. I understand how fresh young ladies. Matt, Matt Gates is going to be one of those brand ambassadors now for Venmo because he says he uses it for all of his minor purchases. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> Not mine. I won't take credit for it. I won't take credit for it. I have to do with Matt Gates except for the fact that I did help him with that initial law. But uh, he was the guy who was actually in charge at the time, along with Katie Edwards from Okeechobee, and we got this thing passed. But what I didn't understand at the time, though, is that he was working with the forces of evil at the time, and that actually people who were there behind closed doors who were not qualified to get a, a license, that got a license, and that, that are now uh, major MMTCs. And actually, uh, in their groves, were, were growing... Uh, cannabis that were hollowed out by powdery mildew and they were actually spraying those buds with hydrogen peroxide and then turning them into vape cartridges, which is interesting because, you know, if you buy a vape cartridge from a MMTC, you're in good stead because of that it's legal. But if you buy a illegal or a legacy market vape cartridge, that's considered a concentrate, okay? And a concentrate is a felony if you're caught with it, as opposed to buying flour, which at one point in time, flour was illegal and carts were not illegal. So that's kind of like the, the strange way that our, our laws are kind of put together. But that's kind of the things that we do have to, to straighten out. we got to straighten out a lot of things in Florida. And I think eventually, over time, we will, we will get these things straightened out. And I, I don't think that we'll see the program look exactly the way it looks right now. We have... We have, we have a bunch of dispensaries right now. We actually only have about uh, what, 17 out of the 22 licenses that are actually active. The rest of them are in the background. But the ones that are coming up, if they continue to survive, waiting for an adult use market, whatever, they're going to be different than what we have right now. The people like, like cookies that are coming up, actually Jungle Boys out of, out of California are considering coming up. And when they, their dispensaries look more like entertainment centers as opposed to just uh, cookie cutter, uh, look, look like doctor's offices. And uh, the marketing is different, and most likely the product is different as well, maybe even better. So we, we may well see changes, hopefully for the better, but uh, we have to work at it. We have to be patient, as patient as we can be. Hopefully none of us will, will pass away before we get, get the medicine we want. But uh, we, we all have to look at it. And of course, we need the help of you folks out there. Now, I see all sorts of ads from various advocates out there that spend the first two or three lines talking about the news uh, as far as cannabis is concerned. And the next 10 lines are about, we need your money. Okay, so yeah, I can see that. We, we, we definitely need some financial help to get this thing forward. But as Carlos, which is one of the biggest classes he had in his MBA classes, has often said, is that we need your time and your treasure and your talent, which means we need you to come up and step up to the plate and, and tell these senators and representatives 
Uh, unfortunately, you can't talk directly to the judges, but that would be nice. Uh, and, and as far as how we can get this thing fixed, it's not just your money, although money it helps. And we are a membership-driven organization, and it doesn't go to our salaries because we don't have one. We are basically a volunteer organization. So if you see us out there working, we're not doing it for the cash. You can tell because we're looking for the food of face. Gary, I promise if I hit the lottery, I will pump a million dollars into our chapter and then we can start having a full-time staff, okay? But until that until that day comes along, uh, you're right. We are going to continue to be the volunteers and, and, and uh, continue with our altruistic mission. That being said, you know, I was reading through the comments that were coming in and uh, seniors are one of the biggest voting blocks and one of the, you know, the, the leading new users to cannabis in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Carlos, I, I sent you a link there that shows that, you know, nearly 10 percent of U.S. adults over age 50 have actually utilized cannabis in the past year. And so I think it's important for folks to, to realize and understand um, that this is something that is moving forward. That is um, the boomers who were part of the Reagan babies, who were part of the just say no generation, uh, become older and, and, and gain access to medical cannabis for therapeutic uses, you know, we're gonna see a change in, in this. You know, the baby boom generation is, is, is you know, uh, going by the wayside in many ways in, in regards to political power, as we see more millennials and more Gen Xers uh, taking their place in the, in the political infrastructure, you know, we'll be able to see that difference. We see it in a lot of ways, um, you know, in, in, in local elections, you know, just recently the mayor of Philadelphia signed a pre-employment drug testing ban from uh, cannabis uh, into the law. I think it's awesome. I don't think anybody applying for a city job should be denied a city job because they smoke weed. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, if you if you have a city job, more than likely you're probably working in either solid waste or parks and recs. And I can tell you, those are both jobs that are going to require a joint at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, is the, that is the way it works. I mean, some people. Uh, are, are at their work because of the fact that they have the medication that allows them to go to work in the, in the morning. And in some, in some cases, they just medicate during the weekends. And God help me, our first responders, they have seen things they cannot unsee, and yet they have to go to work every single day. And sometimes they work around things like explosions. We had a situation here in Florida yesterday. I would not have wanted to be, be the first responder where we had a big two-year-old that was shot by a three-year-old in Polk County. Oh, jeez. And uh, the, 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 uh, the father of the kid grabbed the kid up, threw him in the car, and got and T-boned another car on the way to the, uh, to the hospital. And so the people who came there and grabbed up the baby out of the accident and ran the baby to the hospital, I mean, that's, that's, that's got to be one of those heart-wrenching kind of things that you just can't unsee not only just the baby, but also the reaction of the parents and things of that sort. It's got to haunt you at night. Yeah. Yeah. Now, granted, there are exceptions to every law, right? You know, there are certain people you don't necessarily want high, you know, uh, it, it, you know, simply because you want them focused, laser focused. Um, case in point, heart surgeons. Maybe I don't want my heart surgeon stone, right? But, but you know, I don't have a problem with the nurse who, who you know, after a 12-hour shift needs to go home after being on her knees all day to smoke I'll a joint be, and relax I'll after going through that. I'll be honest on the heart surgeon. I, I would say it depends on the heart surgeon. 
His hands are steadier because he smoked a joint, then I'm gonna smoke the joint you put him before surgery, bro. Maybe we can get Sue Sicily on or, or Greg Gordon to talk about this, but there are folks who can medicate on the weekends when they're not on call and when, when they're not on duty. And that allows those that in the cannabinoid system, those receptors to get saturated, and it makes the rest of the week when they're not medicated to go a lot smoother and for them to be able to handle things a lot better. I would like to see more police officers uh, as first responders able to utilize medical cannabis. Maybe there'll be less, you know, uh, what's the word? Bad apples is what people like to use in the police department. I mean, you know, for lack of a better word, I think less, more cops would be less uh, dickish out there in the field if they could just, you know, smoke a joint on their lunch break. Yeah, I still don't understand this whole thing that happened in Monroe, Louisiana a couple of years ago. That that whole incident just does, does not make any sense to me whatsoever as to why they would have treated that, that, that one driver the way that they did. I don't know if you heard that story this last week, Chris. But this guy was, was pulled over and they actually shackled him while he was face down and dragged him by the shackles. Whoa. I mean, Gary, we, we, you know, with the advent of where social media is today, I can't get up in the morning and scroll through my Facebook or Instagram feed without seeing police brutality. And, and the fact is, is that in this nation, there is a serious constitutional overreach by departments all across the country, because in many cases, in many places, these departments operate um, with immunity because they're such small towns, because being a small town, um, you know, there isn't many people to challenge a judge or a prosecutor or replace a police chief or a mayor. And, and so, you know, in these areas that we have, uh, like like Tampa, um, in, in some of the bigger cities, you know, you, you see turnover. If, if someone's bad, eventually their political network can only hold them up so much and then the electorate and the public will toss them out. But in other cases, like case in point, Polk County, you'll see a sheriff like Grady Judd stay in office for decades. You know, and, and you'll see bad policy and bad deputies. Now, the one thing I can say about Grady is when when a scandal uh, in his department goes off, he throws those those deputies under the bus who are part of that scandal. You know, but the fact is that there is still systemic issues in every department, even in the city of Tampa. You know, the, the mayor caster time and time again will applaud the, the men and women uh, at the Tampa Police Department. But the fact is, is that. Carlos just pointed out there is some systemic issues in the police department in regards to its uh, corruption among its drug unit, corruption among the DUI unit. And you have stories of plenty of Tampanians uh, um, sharing how they've been wrongfully pulled over. They've been treated without dignity. They've had their civil rights violated. And it's high time that these departments are investigated and things change, which is why civilian police review boards are so important. And I just want to take a moment to send a shout out to the five city council members who voted in Tampa this week to actually give the civilian review board some real power and giving it, taking it one step closer to actually being uh, an independent body that can actually make some real difference in our community. So get involved in your communities, uh, research your candidates, you know, vote and, and, and pressure your city council, your county commissions, your state legislators to actually see real change in criminal justice reform. It's not enough for us to change the cannabis laws if the enforcement of those laws are still disparate. If you, we still see black and brown people going to jail in, in, in disparate numbers, then, then we see everybody else. That is a problem. 
You know, we pushed really hard for civil citations in the city of Tampa to see cannabis decriminalized. But when we see that the vast majority of people going to jail for cannabis still remain black and brown, we're not seeing those civil citations enforced. We're not seeing them in an equitable manner enforced. That's a problem for me. And so criminal justice reform is not just about making cannabis legal, but it's about providing safe access for all responsible users. And safe access means you shouldn't, one, have poison in your medicine, two, it shouldn't be overpriced, and three, the cops shouldn't mess with you for using it. If we can accomplish those three things in our society, I think it'll be a better society. I agree. Uh, my, my, my mic is bad? I, I don't know. Can everybody hear me? Because I, I got a point I got to make here. I, one of our guys, I'm certain he didn't mean it with, with any uh, meanness or accurateness, but said that uh, old folks at dispensaries are uh, as aggravating AF, whatever that means. Okay, here's the deal, dude, dudes. First off, the average medical the average medical patient in Florida is 54 years old. And we actually are here, you are actually walking into that dispensary because we walked into that dispensary first. We, I was winded before I walked into this place because I happened to have, uh, I happened to have an asthmatic situation that came from smoking this stuff called Paraquat in the 1980s when, it was, when they were able to mess with our product out there in the domestic grows because they could. Now we have... MMTCs that are actually supposedly being uh, inspected so we have a quality product that we that will not interfere with us. So we have fought for it. We deserve it. And if you're annoyed, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Gary, I think that's a good point in that education is such a vital part of the just the process of becoming a medical cannabis patient. And there isn't like a, a, a education program at your doctor's office. There's a pamphlet. There isn't like an education program, you know, prior to walking into a dispensary. So there are going to be, uh, you know, folks who are, you know, older in nature. They're going to have a lot of questions. And then, you know, also I've noticed this. My wife works in retail. Uh, you know, you're going to see folks who have a certain attitude in regards to, to customer service, uh, um, you know, associates. And so, yeah, there's going to be a mix. There's going to be people who are going to be asking a lot of questions because they want to get educated. There are going to be other people who are just picky consumers who are paying in the ass to be in front of or be behind uh, while you're waiting in line. But all in all, always remember you can place your orders ahead of time at, at your MMTCs and just pick them up. So, um, but I enjoy shopping. That's one of the things that I really enjoy. I want to smell the bud. I want to look at it. So, you know, if, if y'all are complaining about uh, uh, older folks being in line, you definitely don't want to be in line behind me because I want the full experience. I want to see what, yeah, show that to me. Let me smell that. What's, and I'm going to ask questions. What's the screen? What's the, you know, what's the THC percentage? What are the side effects? You know, one, because I want to know is the bud tender that in front of me know what they're talking about? Uh, and, and two, um, you know, I want to know about the quality of the products. I have a lot of questions when I walk into a place. So, I mean, one of the things I really like about the current pro uh, program here in Florida, which has not got a lot of great things to it, but I can actually walk into a store and look at a menu and actually say, I want this, this, and this, give them money, and they give me a, a bag with my stuff in it that I just looked at, smelled, and I, it wasn't thrown into a back seat for me to go ahead and crawl on the back and look at it and say, yeah, I'll get it, what is this? And they'll say, it is what I got. And I just take it home, and then, and of course, I, I hide it in my pocket and make sure so that nobody can see it on the way home. Gary at the dispensary talking to the guy is like, 
<laughs> in my day, we used to smoke stuff that was tied to a stick. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I always look to see where the shoe the shoe is hanging from the ceiling. You know, when I walk into the MTCs because I want to find my comfort zone. But, Gary Gary's going to be telling stories around the around the campfire with his grandkids. I remember when Granddad used to get into cars with strangers to buy weed. <laughs> Gary, you should tell a story uh, of smoking weed back in the day uh, during our member meeting this Thursday. Hey, speaking of member meeting this Thursday, we have a member meeting this Thursday. <laughs> I posted a link in the chat. Okay, so you, you want to give them a brief capsulization but in case they can't read? If you're listening to this podcast, then you, uh, you know, if you're listening on Pandora or something, then you probably can't get to the chat. Or Twitch. However... Right? No, you can get to the chat on Twitch. Okay. However, you, you can't get to it. Sorry, Gary. We will not do that. We will not partner with those people. Then how am I going to hear myself? <laughs> so, you can uh, get all the info you need about the member meeting on our website and sign up to this. It's a Zoom meeting. It's free to the public. You don't need to be a member. It's one of the free things that we do. As a matter of fact, it may end up uh, looking a little bit like this podcast, as a matter of fact, since everything's so digital. However, right, it's a little bit easier to interact with us. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you have some conversations with us. You can actually talk to Gary about smoking weed back in the day. Or Gary can talk to you and specifically yeah. speak to you about, like, what things that you can do um, to organize and to influence uh, our bad politics here in Florida. That's right. Yeah. And Chris, Chris is going to be there, too. So I guess I'll be there. I'll be there. Well, team, look, I hope everybody uh, gets a chance to join us, all of our listeners and, and, and viewers at our member meeting this Thursday at seven o'clock. It will be digital over Zoom. I'm really excited for us to finally get together. It's free. It's free. Just come yeah. on and, and network, get to know like minded folks, um, help build your network of, of fellow patients and advocates uh, that you can trust and develop a relationship with. And more than that, we're really excited for some of our summer events coming up. We're going to have a big event in Ybor City on July 30th, so you'll get the details of that event at our member meeting come this Thursday to find out the big reveal of our oh, upcoming event. The new graphic on here. It's all good. We're going to roll it out at the member meeting this Thursday, so if yeah. you want to hear about uh, our, our big uh, event that we're having on July 30th in Ybor City, uh, come to our member meeting this Thursday. Sign up in RSGP. As always, team, have a great Sunday. Uh, enjoy your time with your families while you have them. I want to um, just take the moment to send a special um, heartwarming uh, love to my family and my cousin Kathy, who uh, is a medical cannabis patient in Oregon uh, for many years, and she just passed away um, uh, on Friday from uh, COVID-19 after a, a protracted battle of several, several months with it in and out of the hospital. So, you know, hug your loved ones, tell them how much you care about them. You never know when it's your last day on this planet with them. And um, by all means, continue to fight the good fight. And we love each and every one of y'all. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This has been The Rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member. Because that is how you become part of the change.
You can find the Rotation Podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes, but you can always join us in the Rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National, all by joining Suncoast Normal. That website again is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media at Suncoast Normal. Uh, find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary. And good night. Good night.